Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. And we're glad to have at the microphone here the volunteer coordinator for the Sisters of St. Joseph Neighborhood Network, Laura Caldwell. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for being here. All right. So we, we start out with origin stories. We'd like to know, uh, did, did you grow up in Erie? Did you, were you a transplant at some point? Born in Columbus, Ohio, but moved here when I was about nine years old. Went oh, okay. to a lot of different city schools and um, got my start here. I love Erie. I believe in supporting locals, supporting local nonprofits, local people. Anything nice. local is awesome. Wow. Okay. So uh, Columbus, Ohio, we're pretty much, it wasn't a big change, especially for a nine-year-old. Was that a little traumatic for you though, or no? I was a real shy child. Okay. Being in different schools every year was pretty traumatic. So I was always kind of, you know, a little bit the odd. Where'd you go to high school? Academy. Okay. Wow. So, okay. So you're, you're part of the, the old Academy regime. Correct. Before it was the smart school. (laughs) Okay. That's awesome. All right. So um, navigating through your life, at some point you said, I'm going to start putting myself out there as a volunteer. Talk about that. Correct. I uh, owned a beauty salon for about 20 years. I didn't know that. Had the opportunity to volunteer with the Ophelia Project doing uh, after school no bully programming in a lot of city schools, Girard, Mill Creek, Harbor Creek. We were all over the city. Fortunate enough to be uh, in part of the foundation of the programs and really had my heart in the no bully programming and just watching children that were being bullied and the effects that it had Mm. um, on people for a lifetime, not even just as their children. So really wanting to make a difference, wanting to be involved, uh, wanting to share with those kids. Um, So I did that for about about eight years as the volunteer coordinator. So, and again, it's the Nobility Project? Explain what that is. Ophelia Project. The Ophelia Project, okay. So explain, remind people what that is because uh, I get it mixed up with different other projects that that women are involved with. Uh, We were founded in Erie and we're a no-bullying program. They are no longer in existence now. Okay. But uh, for about 12 years, we had a local Erie office and then we actually went natural national and started off as a girls only program and eventually included boys Wow! Um, because boys are bullied differently a lot of physical aggression a lot of uh, expectations for you know being tough all the time and not Mm. showing emotions so different types of bullying's boys talk about asking for a friend um, about how it how it extends into adulthood that you found uh, self-esteem issues. Uh, some people who are bullied become bullies themselves. Mm. Others just are silenced as children, so they don't speak up as adults for you know their emotions or their rights or whatever it might be. You know, this this topic comes up a bit when we deal with the whole trauma-informed community thing, where where um, it's the idea of you know instead of. What, you know, why are you like the way you are? What happened to you is the, is the proper question, right? Right. And, and to think that if you, if you allow that, uh, that bullying impact, that trauma from bullying um, to, to basically dictate your life, 
that's a, that's a pretty sad thing to have happen. Correct, especially now with social media, Facebook, mm. texting. You know, you can spread a rumor or a bad picture to hundreds of people in a, in about three seconds. Wow! Yeah, wow. very detrimental. All right, so but but that that program's no longer going on right now. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, we need somebody else yeah. to pick that up. I think. Yes. Um, and so so what did you do next then? Uh, basically, I've been the volunteer coordinator with the Sisters of St. Joe's for about seven years now. Wow. And uh, we manage about three hundred and fifty volunteers. We have wow. awesome community support. Uh, always seeking new volunteers and new ideas. And we do a lot, I think, that people don't know. We do tutoring, mentoring, uh, a bike program at our east side location. Yeah. Uh, again, we have a location at 425 West 18th Street as well as 436 West 26th Street. So It's almost, yeah, you're equally on the east side and the west side correct. there, aren't you? Wow. And each neighborhood's a little different, even though we're one agency. You know, we serve people in different ways due to the needs in the different neighborhoods. And And... The volunteers are doing the tutoring. They're they're helping with the the gardens. They're helping with all these different things. Correct. We have about fourteen garden coaches that mentor inner city kids working in the garden through a paid program. The volunteers aren't paid, but some of the kids are, and uh, lots of uh, trash pickup, recycling, all kinds of things. Our soup kitchen, earn a bike program on the east side. We've given away over three hundred bikes since the foundation of that program. Uh, the bikes go to some new Americans, some children who have never had bikes. We had a 23-year-old girl that had never ridden a bike before, wow. you know, teaching her how to ride. A lot of people that depend on a bike to get to and from work. So there's also safety issues. They need lights, reflectors, helmets, things like that. So I was going to say, what is, what is the strategic yeah. benefit of having that bike program, uh, I think, for, for the folks that, that you're helping with? Part of it is the opportunity to have transportation. Yeah. Another is just a good outdoor healthy activity and um, teaching repair of bicycles. So if wow. you have a flat tire, or your chain falls off, it doesn't go out into the garbage. Um, people are retired to volunteer and go through a program to learn about their bike and how to fix things. It, at some point, there was a kind of a rash of bikes being stolen in the city. Hasn't this program kind of helped alleviate some of that? A little bit. We've had a lot of our bikes stolen. Have you really? Away. Of course. Wow. Yeah. Which is really sad, too, because the kids earn that bike. And if they oh. have it for a month and then it's gone, that's a very um, that's traumatic thing for them. And sure. we, we will try to replace it if we can. We mm-hmm. may or may not be able to do that. But we do mark the bikes specific ways. So we are able to do a police report and then they wow. have certain numbers and colors to track. So that's still something that we're worried working on. Correct. Is, is maybe like you know let the kid have their own bike Jeez. for sure wow wow so but but for some of the folks this is their primary mode of transportation to get to work so absolutely you're you're yeah. educating them through all that stuff right wow right. wow all right and and then the you know the community gardens are huge because not only are they learning you know urban farming skills but they're really reaping the benefits from those gardens. Exactly. We also have a budgeting program where the kids oh. that we work with are taught to uh, not just work in the gardens, weeding, planting, watering, nurturing, harvesting, and then possibly selling at our farmer's market if they have enough food, which we run every Monday, July through September. And... Um, Learning that, you know, seeds need to be purchased, compost needs to be brought in. So 
when you sell a cucumber for a dollar at the market, you, your profit might be 30 cents. Gotcha. So yeah. they, they need to understand that, you know. So someday if they have a job and taxes are taken out, they understand how it works. It, for, for these programs, pretty much it's young people that are the primary beneficiary, right? Yes. Right now, that's correct. Okay. But uh, when, when it comes to like the food pantry and the, and the soup kitchen, that's pretty much families, isn't it? Yes. Um, the soup kitchen that we run at St. Paul's, uh, 453 West 16th Street, right next to the church, that is open to the public. So not only do we have people from the Little Italy area that mostly walk over, we have a lot of east side people. We have a lot of um, low-income folks, possibly from the hotels and trailer parks in Mill Creek that come into the soup oh, kitchen, wow. a few families from Summit Township. So we are open to anybody and every day. Everybody, five o'clock each Monday. Do you know, again, it's almost, it's going to hit its, uh, its 20th year next year. Yes. Do you know how it got started and, and what the felt need has been with all that? Yes. Um, when the network was founded by uh, Sister Carol Wilcox and Sister Mary Herman, along with research from St. Vincent Hospital that showed the high poverty, low income, high crime area, um, going door to door, Sister Carol was able to determine that food insecurity, hunger um, were the two number one concerns in the area at the time that they founded the Sisters of St. Joe's Network. So from that point, uh, we worked with a few volunteers from St. Paul's Church. Rhonda Vecchio, Joe Salvia served our first meal. Wow. Um, so that was almost 20 years ago, and both Ron and Joe are still cooking once a month for the St. Paul Soup Kitchen, which is awesome. And that's obviously where um, Glenn Bryant got to have uh, got to serve and also have his meal. Correct. Yes. Do you always have spaghetti and meatballs? Every... No, we don't. We so have... the, that was a special day for him. It was a special day, especially <laughs> made by Ron DeVecchio, right. who cooks for the Italian festival and everything else. We we tend to have what's on sale, what's donated, what we got from Second Harvest Food Bank. Wow. So um yeah, it's definitely not always spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that and was it's a It's not treat. always soup. People think <laughs> a soup kitchen only serves soup. <laughs> we're, we're talking to Laura Caldwell. She's from the Sisters of St. Joseph Neighborhood Network. If you have a question or comment and want to weigh in, 814-679-1080 is our phone number, 814-679-1080. Or you can leave a, a, a message on our Facebook live feed at facebook.com forward slash talk eerie. When we come back, I want to find out... Um, about this whole concept of soup kitchens and all the different hot meals available in Erie because uh, because you would think that with all the other government programs and, and, and with Second Harvest and whatever, that, that food insecurity would not be a problem, but it certainly is, isn't yes. it? Yes. We know that Erie is a resource-rich community, right? And so we have some very caring nonprofits. But Everybody gets access if they're if they meet a, a particular um, uh, income level. They all have access to either an access card or you know food stamps or so on. Can you explain what what you hear from your clients when it comes to food insecurity? Sure. Um, partially, food deserts are an issue. So in the Little Italy area, there's Country Fair. And there's Quick Stop, and then thank God there's Larry Mar Larry's Market right. where you can actually get some apples or bananas or um, meat. Yeah, a lot of the new Americans like things like cactus leaves and some different different foods that you know weren't really here years ago. Um, but prices tend to be a little bit high, and then 
places like Country Fair, high prices and not much selection and not much health food. So you're buying, you know, white bread only, uh, maybe a sub sandwich, maybe chips and pop. So if a kid goes over there and is buying things, it's usually candy, chips, Mm. pop at, you know, an exaggerated price. Um, A lot of our folks that we work with are the working poor. They may or may not have food stamps. They may have a job. They may be kept under 30 hours, so they have no time off, they have no benefits, they have no health care provided, and sometimes, unfortunately, that limits their benefits. So if they're working, their food stamps might be cut, so that doesn't create a lot of incentive to be working hard or working two or three jobs. And to get to a good grocery store, a single mom maybe with three children and a stroller with grocery bags may have to take a bus quite a ways, you know, get the kids on and off the bus in bad weather, carry home all the groceries and a stroller or two. Um, So that's what I think a lot of folks don't understand is how Mm -hmm. difficult it is to get to a healthy grocery store when you live in a food desert. The transportation issue is is huge, isn't it? It's huge. And also, you know, can you afford bus tokens? Mm. Um, That's an issue, too. It doesn't sound expensive, but if you need to use a bus four times a week, it can be. When I when when I worked for the church, we always had a roll of tokens with us, just just to, not only to get people to church, but also give them a, a, a couple of other ones to uh, to be able to do things like That's go to the lot, go an to the awesome restaurant. idea. I might look I mean, into that. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it was like ninety cents at the time or whatever. It's not a, right. but it was it was something that we were able to sustain. But uh, um, no, and so. When we have St. Paul's that serves on Monday, my understanding is that there, at least five days a week, there's a there's a hot meal in the evening, isn't there? Yeah, probably four to five. Community Shelter Services provides a Sunday meal. St. Paul's through the Sisters of St. Joe's does Monday, and then Trinity Church is Tuesday. Right, right. Kitty Corner, basically, from St. Paul's, right? Uh, Just on 17th Street there? Yeah, Trinity's actually a little closer to Community Shelter Services okay. on West 17th Street. So the, so all three of them are in that little Italy pocket there. Correct. So the, there are a lot of opportunities for at least three hot meals. And then Trinity, I think right now, is doing every other Saturday or every other Thursday. Okay. I'm not quite sure. That might be a lunch right now. What about on the east side, too? East side, uh, Emmaus is awesome. City Mission, Salvation Army. But knowing the time, being on time, and getting transportation to and from those areas can be tough. A lot of people walk, but when the weather's freezing, especially if they're coming out of a non-heated house, you know, to walk an hour to get over to Emmaus is kind of freezing and with little children. And now it's dark at quarter to five. Right. walking in the dark. And you serve at five o'clock, right? Correct. Okay, yes. so yeah, they're in the dark, and yeah, yeah people don't understand. Uh, th- you add you 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 take away one element from your everyday life. You, you it makes life a lot harder. Exactly, and even uh, cookware. You know, we have families that might not have heat, might not have electric, or might not have a stove or refrigerator. So even if we at the neighborhood network every thirty days folks can come in for one bag of groceries. And that's a hand up, not a hand out. That's specifically designed for someone who's in a state of emergency, one bag of groceries or diapers or hygiene items once a month. Um, But if they don't have a stove to heat or cook something on, 
that's pretty tough too. Other than granola bars and dry cereal, well, you know, even a box of macaroni and cheese, if you don't have hot water or something to cook it in, that's really tough. Um, it's hard to, to believe that within, you know, a mile or two of where most of us live, there'd be people living like this. Absolutely. And, and it is surprising and it's sad. You know, there's some slum landlords, there's a lot of mental health issues. That's another huge issue with mm. traveling far to get to a grocery store or even uh, signing up your information to get, if it's unemployment or food stamps or benefits, um, addiction issues are extremely high. So if you have addiction issues, mental health, no car, no food, no heat in your home, to go out and get those things, it is very difficult. Yeah, yeah. That, none of those would uh, thwart the sisters from doing the good work, though. You know, nope, I mean, we'll just they, keep plugging <laughs> away, <laughs> trying to make that. a difference. Oh my word! Um, what do you think is the the biggest misconception for the people that you talk to when it comes to just the, the people that you serve? Um, About the people that you serve. Occasionally, I'll talk to maybe even a friend or someone I've just met or someone at a conference or whatever. And the comment is, well, well, why don't they get a job? And due to addiction and mental health and extreme poverty, they may not have clothing for an interview. Again, transportation to get to and from a decent job. And the working poor are already working, sometimes two and three jobs, but living in poverty, barely getting by. Um, So the comment I hear a lot, again, is why don't they get a job? And what I want to say is let's take a look around and you show me how many people you'd even give an interview to. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, you know, it's also interesting that uh, needs to be figured out and it's way above my pay grade, but the, the concept that, um, that like you were saying, you start losing benefits the minute that you start working. And, and so that built in structural disincentive needs to be really figured out. Absolutely. I'm not quite sure how, but I truly agree. Because really in order to make up for all the benefits that would come with an access card or Medicaid and all the other things you would, you would have to make even far more than $15 an hour. Everybody's talking about that that $15 magical minimum wage. That doesn't even cut it, does it? Correct, yes. You pretty much have to have a paying job of you know $40,000 a year and up. And end up just to, make, to, to maybe make it all happen. Exactly. We're talking to Laura Caldwell. We're coming up against our, our news break here. Our phone number is 679-1080. Laura's the volunteer coordinator for the Sisters of St. Joseph Neighborhood Network. And... The, Y'all, like, work with the neighborhood watches, right? Yes. So it, it's, it's, um, it's a little bit similar to, well, you, you were first, mind you, but it's a little bit similar to the, to the neighborhood uh, groups like our West Bayfront and, and uh, Bayfront East Side Task Force and so on, right? Uh, I we're, would say somewhat, yes. Because yeah, so, there's a, a way to coal, have coal, um, a coalition and, and start rehabbing housing and, and, re- and being able to really build, bring back some of those neighborhoods. Absolutely. And introducing neighbors to each other. That's huge. So mm. they're not afraid of each other and they're coming out participating. And the sisters in, in, uh, in Heather Casper, uh, in, in Heather May Casper and, and Laura and their whole crew down there are just making impact on a life by life basis. It's really something else when you think about you, you really, 
without the sisters, I don't know what the old neighborhood would have been like. I know. agree. Yeah. I mean, there was an obvious need that it needed leadership. And uh, weren't they involved with some of the medical stuff down um, the free clinic and all that? Were they involved with that at all at some point or no? I actually don't know a whole lot about yeah. the St. Paul's uh, free clinic. It's not so there anymore, vaguely. but yeah. Right. But I mean, there, there's... They've been willing to respond where the need has. Absolutely. And you were saying um, when it comes to like the fresh produce and things that are being grown, you do a farmer's market during the summer, right? Talk talk about, you said there might be a story there. So the farmer's market, again, is supporting local farmers who come in from, oh, Wattsburg and Waterford and just wonderful people bringing organic fresh produce. And then the children that we mentor in the gardens who are uh, on one of our garden coach programs, If they do grow enough food that they can harvest and sell at the farmer's market, they're very proud of that, you know, and picking the vegetables, cleaning them up, presenting them, answering people's questions and selling. And last year, I always had a little group of boys that would always go over and play in the field, riding bikes and goofing around. And where is this at? Where is this located? 18th and Hickory. Oh, wow. Right there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the boys were real cute because they they just were not real interested in fruits or vegetables. And every week I'd try to buy them something they hadn't tasted. And one week was a cucumber. And they did not know that you could eat a cucumber without ranch dressing. (laughs) So that was pretty cute. And the other week was... um, peas so i bought them some sugar snap peas and i said do you know where peas come from and the one little boy says yeah the grocery store in a can (laughs) and i said well but where do they grow and he had no idea he thought they were just in the store so i took the sugar snap pea and i broke it open and he could see the little peas in the pod and he literally went oh he was so excited. It was like a little miracle for him to see the growth of those little peas in that pod. And they ate the whole little court with no ranch dressing again. <laughs> and again, just, just to know little simple things like that, healthy choices, good choices, and productivity. You know, you feel better health-wise. You do better in school. You're in a better mood when you eat right. So it, it's just a great opportunity for fresh foods in that neighborhood. Well, and, and, and the added benefit of of young people hanging out with uh, adults, that mentoring piece and that Correct. just that being able to share share life and love together. That, that's Absolutely. really cool. And it's interesting to see the different ages. We might have, you know, someone in their 70s or 80s working with a 12-year-old inner city kid or a 10-year-old boy, and they, they definitely develop connections and mm-hmm. relationships and uh, learn a lot from each other. All right. So um, I do need to ask you about the undercover billionaire because um, what you see on reality TV may not be always reality. But I thought your situation would be a special case because you've got these Clients, you got these folks that come in every week, and you're like, "Hey, uh, pay no attention to the, the crews or whatever." Talk about how it, it got started. How do they contact you? Okay, so a uh, friend of mine, Stuart Nash, is with the Erie Film Society. Sure. And his wife contacted me one day and just said, uh, there's a film crew coming to Erie. They might have some questions for you. They're looking for a potential soup kitchen. Um, It's a homeless guy coming in. So the story that I was told really was not correct. Um, We were told that he was homeless, sleeping in his car, and wanted to know where to eat, where to sleep. So that's why he was meeting me. And he wanted to do some volunteer work in exchange for a plate of food. So, of course, we're like, sure, come on down. I'll meet you here. Come on in. So 
Glenn came in as Glenn Bryant, which yeah. I later found out was Glenn Stearns, even though I know nothing about Stearns lending. So even if he would have used his real name, I would have no idea. Right. Um, but he was great. He worked hard. We had him washing dishes, wiping Did floors. you really? Absolutely. You know, just like any other client or volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, we're there to serve. What time of year was this? Work. Was that like in March then? Yes, that, that was so, March. So that, that timeline actually worked, huh? Correct. Okay. Yes. And, um, you know, we talked quite a bit. And he was thankful for the plate of food. I had no idea. I did notice his hair looked pretty good, like kind of a fresh haircut. And his clothes were clean. He had on kind of a new pressed looking shirt. And I kind of wanted to give him a warning if he was going to be out there on the streets looking so good. He had to be a little careful because that could be a target for you know, a robbery or a mugging or something like that. But I didn't say anything because I really didn't know him. I just let him eat his plate of food. And but looking back, it's kind of ironic here i am bossing around this billionaire you know wash dishes dry dishes scrub the floor but he was fine he did everything he was told he was real ambitious and hardworking, mm. and i i had no clue at all and then we thought he was going to go visit some of the homeless shelters i gave him a list of references you know where he could sleep at community shelter salvation army whatever and I guess he did spend a couple nights in his truck, you know, working. Yeah. And he bought that little house that they showed on the billionaire show. Um, but we were completely blown away. We had no idea. But I really enjoyed him. The soup kitchen clientele was actually pretty excited. We thought there'd be okay. a lot of people that did not want to be filmed and they would not like it at all. So we had waivers to sign. Uh, We also had posters all over the building saying what we were doing, but we were told it was filming the great American documentary, How Do You Reach the American Dream, with nothing. So we did not know anything about Underdog Barbecue or that he did have money. Did Um, did they mic the fella next to him when, when they were chatting? Um, do you do you remember that part where they're both serving and he's like asking? Uh, oh, so what's yes. the movie all about? So so they had to put mics on. Yes. They had to put mic on you, right? I yes. mean, so, so, how about so, on Ronnie? Did they? Uh, yeah, oh my Ron, word! Ron and I <laughs> and the college student from football player from Mercyhurst right, University, yeah. Dante, uh, pretty much. I'd say about 15 of us had mics on. Oh, my uh, Very time-consuming, too, for like four hours, you know, for a one-minute clip. Yeah. But uh, that, that was kind of exciting. So, so you were okay with the disruption? It's so busy there, and, and you're so intent on doing the serving and cleaning up, and we have juvenile probation coming in helping us clean up, and we don't know how many kids are coming, how much help we have or don't have. So it, it's just fast and furious in there every Monday. Wow. So you just keep working, working, working until you're done. So so that was an overlay of all your busyness. Right, right. And we did have a little incident, which was interesting, too. We had a, a fight outside in which I had to call the police and everything oh was on God. microphone. But thank God nothing was filmed <laughs> and that was irrelevant to the, the food service. Um, but that was a little exciting for the whole, yeah. whole evening. It, I would imagine it's it's pretty calm and safe on Monday nights down at yes, your place, right? Yeah. I we, mean, we feel comfortable and yeah. a lot of families. And, yeah. you know, I think anywhere you are at this time of life, you, you should be well aware of your surroundings all the time. I don't care if you're at the mall or at the peninsula or at a soup kitchen, you know, just to be careful and aware is smart. That's good advice. Now, uh, did you have any indication? It was just reported today. That he actually, uh, that Glenn actually had cancer of his esophagus and and is missing the flap 
that guards between food going down his windpipe or not. So did he eat? And and that's true. He does have cancer. And I've seen a lot of posts on Facebook like, oh, you know, that guy was fooling us. He's a liar. He didn't oh, tell the goodness. truth. He doesn't have cancer. He does have a feeding tube. I think he is in remission right now. So he was barely able to eat. He was able to taste a few things. So he did taste it and didn't really yeah, eat. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't eat a whole plate of spaghetti. Okay, no okay, way. gotcha. Yeah. So, so that, so you really did experience that part of it, and correct? So, and that was one of those things that was left out of the out of the show to to not um, overly, uh, you know, reinforce his medical issues. Yes, and part of his wanting to give back stemmed from him having cancer. You know, I yeah. think that was kind of a wake up call, and kind of really wanted to do something to make a difference. And we were the first place to my knowledge that he visited in Erie. So I respect that, that he came to a soup kitchen as one of his first contacts. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about um, then as the story was getting revealed and you kind of understood more your place in it, what have, what has been the communication back and forth and then that he actually gave you a check. So talk about all that stuff. So, uh, I basically just got an email and then a phone call from the producers and just saying, we've been looking for you, but we haven't been able to find you because I changed my cell phone number. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, we're down here at St. Paul's. Correct. <laughs> they said, you know, could we meet with you again? We just want a minute of your time. And I'm like, sure. So they gave me a couple different times, but they were running late. So we had about four times set and each time they were kind of no-shows or running late. Oh so I was getting a little frustrated because it was farmer's market day and soup kitchen day and uh, tutoring day and youth programs and gardening. So it was just crazy. But when he did show up, he was, again, very kind and generous and soft-spoken. And he told me that, you know, it was kind of like an undercover boss type show, right. who he really was and that he was actually a billionaire and just kind of slid a check over and you know i just thought oh it's gonna be a check for like a hundred bucks or something but it was a check for ten thousand dollars wow that's about our budget for an entire year to run the soup kitchen is that right that's really really a lot of stress off of us we still have to fundraise and we're still you know ever improving but that was just a fantastic donation but it was also humorous because as he hands me the check he says now i have to take that back because this is just kind of a uh for the show we have to mail you a check and my secretary has it in the mail today (laughs) and he showed me the actual check on his cell phone that she was mailing but it was actually written out to saint paul's and again we are sisters of saint joseph network and then he had the wrong address on the check (laughs) we had to correct everything So honestly, at that time, I was a little worried. I thought, okay, are we really going to get a $10,000 check that we can cash? Yeah, wow. So I was very excited to go back to the network and share the news with the staff, with Sister Phyllis Hilbert and Heather and the other staff there. It was very exciting. Well, that is is amazing. (laughs) But of course, all the crazy that has to go into making a TV show, isn't it? Absolutely. So time-consuming just for a few minutes, correct? Wow, yeah. And, And I did hear that the, at least on the producer side and this is not really Glenn's fault but the producers were just always late I mean yes. it's just the timing was just kind of hard to deal with correct the last time that they came you know I said okay I'm there after three o'clock so if you come at three three fifteen three thirty quarter to four no problem 
do not come at five o'clock because we serve right at five. And they walked in at five o'clock with about six cameras and <laughs> wanted to put mics on everybody. And oh my God. A little stressful, but it worked. We, we, went, we figured it out. We did it. They told Chris Trott uh, from Second Chance, like, we, we've got to get rid of all this smoke out of, out of, your, uh, out of your manufacturing uh, facilities. Like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to do that. You know, <laughs> this is a welding place. And so, so <laughs> it's, just so, it's just so funny to, to kind of go through this process. Um, but it was really rewarding for you all, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. I, I enjoyed working. The film crew was great. Glenn was great. The clientele was all excited. A couple of them that were a little bit featured, very prominent mm-hmm. on the show, were very proud of their minute of fame and, you know, got to watch it and were very excited. We, we were so I mean, again, growing up in, at St. Paul's, you know, to see Ron DeVecchio, to see Sarah Cavicchio. I mean, these are people that, you know, are from my childhood. And my mother's, uh, you know, still wonderful friend with Sarah. And and uh, and, and just to see them on television, it's like, I, 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 you know, yeah, I, ate, I ate at those tables, you know. Well, I had pasta visual at those tables at the festival. You know, absolutely. Just, I used yeah. to sell bingo chips, uh, gosh, 1976. <laughs> yeah, so, it's pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's been a special um, treat for our whole community, and then then to have this nice restaurant and all this uh, economic investment that Glenn seems to be doing, and and just to hear more of his story, it's pretty pretty amazing stuff. It, it was my joy, along with my brother Jeff, to be a part of the the big fundraiser down at that was. Was that Bayfront? I think yes. it might have been. Yeah, the gala. The gala. Yeah, and so we were goofing off, and and uh, w- we played music trivia, named that tune, and all that stuff. I was not very good at that, but that's a that's a fun event. Uh, people don't realize the need that the sisters take care of through through the neighborhood network, and and, uh, and you know, and you're activating the volunteers, right? Right. But uh, the the dollars are needed there too, be, just to be able to make all the stuff happen. Absolutely. You know, t- talk about again the major the major functions, and then what you're hoping for for the new year. Okay. Uh, we do a lot of neighborhood revitalization. Uh, we do own some properties in the Little Italy area, and those homes are refurbished and then rented out low income. Uh, we rent a home to an Erie Dawn participant, and those homes are normally women transitioning out of prison, learning job training and how to care for a home in a yard. Um and then hopefully moving on. And then we have something called a Genesis house. I don't work too much with actual housing myself. Okay, yeah. But that's a big part of what, what the Neighborhood yes. Network does. Yeah, the murals, uh, we mm-hmm. just finished on our east side, 19th and Parade. Had an uh, artist from Spain that did an amazing mural, which included a lot of the east side refugees. And our oh. director, Margarita Dangle, as well as Heather Casper. Mm-hmm. Just an amazing piece of art. You know, just anything for neighborhood beauty. Are are you finding that a lot more uh, new Americans are gravitating to these neighborhoods now? Yes. Um, you know, they're more affordable. They're um, homes that are available. And again, they're new to the area. They need to be on a bus line. They need to learn hmm. uh, the language and things like that. So, yes, they do seem to be in a lot of low-income areas. Sure. So, so um, again, you're, you're uh, helping... 
uh, people mentor the, the kids, uh, you know, for the gardens, for all these different things. Talk about that again. Right. Yeah. So we're always looking for garden coaches to work individually with a child, and that usually runs April through October. It's a commitment of approximately five hours a week. Wow. Our mentor program is really flexible. You have to have your clearances, but we can run those for free for folks. And that also is spending about 10 hours a month with a child, kind of at your convenience and the child's family. And we try to pair people with like interest, you know, if it's baseball, football, sewing, knitting, whatever it might be. And how old are the kids that you're usually mentoring? It really comes and goes any, anywhere from 5 to 14 Okay. Yeah, the... It's almost like a big brothers, big sisters kind of approach, would Correct. you say? Okay. Yes, yes exactly. Um, we have volunteers in the soup kitchen. Some people are making desserts, baking cakes, you know, that we need about 15 cakes every Monday. What do you guys do for the holidays? We have our Thanksgiving dinner coming this Monday, and that will be a full turkey gravy stuffing. Joe Selvia is in charge of that dinner. And actually, he's gotten a whole group to donate the whole dinner for us, which is awesome. Nice. And Christmas is December 16th. We do one gift per person. So everyone that comes to the soup kitchen, man, woman, or child, will receive one small gift. And we have the choir from St. Vincent Hospital singing, as well as a full ham dinner. Oh, that's uh, beautiful. Canes and Santa. So that's a lot of fun. And that might be some folks only Christmas. We encourage people to take the gift home and open it there, put it under their tree, or if they don't have a tree, right. you know, to open it. Christmas Day, so they have something special to look forward to. But we we actually do not serve a meal on Christmas Day. Right. We, you know, people have families, and we work a lot of hours, and mm -hmm. you know, so we actually are closed um, the week of Christmas. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, St. Paul's also does provide um, a food pantry every Tuesday morning at nine thirty. And that's wonderful. People can come every Tuesday as long as they sign up and bring ID. And then Sacred Heart, too, is another location close by for a food pantry. And again, those are supposed to serve the immediate area of those of those churches, Correct. right? Yes. So you're not true. supposed to be able to go to all the different ones. Correct. You go to your local food pantry. Yes. So if you're signed up for one, you usually cannot then go to maybe the kids cafe or another place that has a soup kitchen. I mean, I'm sorry, a food pantry. Right. But every once in a while you'll find that somebody has, Hey, even if you go to St. Paul's, you can still go to maybe, um, you know, second harvest themselves or there's other places that have more yes. open rules than Definitely. that. But so again, we're doing our best. I feel like we're, we're, we're working hard as a community to serve the least of these, but somehow folks still, Go through the cracks. Yes. People daily fall through the cracks. And again, it, it's very sad. It's very frustrating. But I think with enough people trying to make a small difference, hopefully we can make it a better community. And I think everyone can make a difference, even if it's one hour a week, one hour a month. If it's donating paper goods to the soup kitchen or canned soup for the food pantry, it can be a simple act of kindness. It does not have to be 20 hours a week and very costly for the mm. volunteer. Um we also collect like new winter coats for kids, wow. blankets to pass out at the soup kitchen, men's socks. Uh, a lot of homeless men will wear their socks till they're bad enough. They just throw them in the garbage, get a new pair. So things like that, just real basic necessities. What's your hope for the new year? Ooh, boy. Um, in, in regards to what you do every day. I would hope for more people to have their needs met, regardless if it's uh, social services, jobs, training, mental health providers, addiction recovery, just for everybody to have a chance and have a better life. 
You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>